for listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the Gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. those of you that don't know who I am, um, my name is Will Blitch, and um, I have the opportunity to invest in and love on and disciple some college students here at CBC, um, and I am married with two children, and we've been married for about seven and three quarters of a year. I know exactly, that's right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not 26, I'm 31. Um, I look very young, but man, the Lord has been so sweet um, to me and has brought our family to Savannah about six, or about seven months ago now. And so we, we are loving being a part of this body, being a part of this family. And so it's a joy that I get to come and open the word together. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're gonna be in John chapter eight this morning. And um, for those of you that have been with us, you know that we've been walking through the I am statements within the gospel of John. And there are seven I am statements that, um, that we're walking through. And so this morning, we're gonna be hitting on I am the light of the world. And so something important for us to remember is that when Jesus is making these statements, when he is making these claims, that the audience that he is speaking to is fully aware of the claim that he's making. And so Bill brought this to us. He, he reminded us and pointed us to this reality back in Exodus chapter three where we see this interaction, this conversation between God and Moses in the wilderness where God interacts with Moses and he tells him to go to his people in Israel and he tells them to go and bring them out of slavery, out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. But one of Moses' questions when, he, when he's talking to God is this. He says, God, when I get there, who am I to say sent me when they ask? And God's response is, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And so his claim is clear to his audience, to his Jewish audience of the day. And if that's not enough, if we, if we were to go further in John chapter eight tonight, then, then if there's any confusion about what he's claiming, then Jesus makes it even more clear because he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so when Jesus said that, that's 2,000 years before Jesus lived, that Abraham was there. And he says, before Abraham even existed, I existed, I am. And so these claims that he's making are clear to the audience that he is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be deity. And so as we look into this, um, the statement that I am the light of the world, we need to ask three questions. The first question we need to ask ourselves is this, are we walking in darkness or in light? Are we walking in darkness or light? And the second question we need to ask is, how do we avoid walking in darkness? How do we avoid walking in darkness? And the third question is, how do we walk then in the light? And so these are the three questions we're gonna seek to answer this morning. So let's turn to John chapter eight, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so something that we need to do as we read this text, as anytime that we dig into the scriptures, something that we need to do as readers of this is we need to really try to, try to do one thing as we grow in our ability to do this, is put ourselves in the context. 
put ourselves in the setting, put ourselves in what's happening around the time, what's the setting when Jesus or the author is making this claim. And so what we, need to know, what we know in this context is in John chapter seven, uh, Jesus is, is speaking probably on the last day of the Feast of Booths. And so most of us in this room, if you're like me, when you read that, you're like, or you heard that, you're like, the Feast of Booths, Will, what in the world is the Feast of Booths? Well, it's a festival that God had implemented, and he had instructed his people to observe on an annual basis. It was implemented by God in Leviticus chapter 23, and it was a time every year in October-ish that they were to remember and reflect upon Israel's time in the wilderness, Immediately following when they were brought out of slavery, out of Egypt, when Moses went and he said, hey, I am sent me, when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, if you remember, there was an unfaithfulness within the people of God. When they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent spies in, and when they sent spies in, they were disobedient in the way, in the report that they came back, not believing that God was able to do what he said he could do. And because of the dis- their disobedience, God told them, because of this, you're gonna have to wander in the wilderness. You're gonna have to wander in the desert for 40 years until this entire generation passes away. And so that's the context of what's happening. And so this, this festival is, it, it's, it's a time for them to remember not that they were just wandering in the wilderness, not knowing what they're doing in the darkness, but it was a time to remember God's faithfulness in the darkness. Because if we remember the time in the wilderness, God supernaturally provided for them. He provided them food. He provided them shelter. He provided them light. And so, and he supernaturally revealed his presence and his protection by day in the form of a cloud and at night in the form of a pillar of fire. And so at this point in time, when Jesus is saying this, his audience has just spent six days remembering that they once lived in darkness, but, they, but God, even in the darkness, pro- provided himself and revealed himself in the form of light. And so the city of Jerusalem was illuminated in a, in a unique way with lamps and lanterns to where when the darkness of night came, the city of Jerusalem was illuminated, remembering the presence of God in the wilderness. And so when Jesus is making the statement, I am the light of the world, this is the setting that they have been in for six days. And so it's clear to his audience that he is saying, I am God. And unlike me, whenever I make a claim about something, unlike me, God is not afraid. Jesus is not afraid that he's gonna be exposed as a cheat. He's not afraid he's gonna be exposed as a liar. And so as I thought about that, I thought about how um, how I feel a little bit of that because I love sports. I love athleticism, I love getting to play games. And so growing up in in school, I played football, basketball, ran track, and in basketball, um, if I gave you six guesses as to which position in basketball I played, you wouldn't get it right. Guys, it's funny because there's only five positions on a basketball team. Um, But so at the ripe old age of 13 years old, I was six foot, 185 pounds. You're looking at it, right? And so all the coaches that were in high school, they're looking down at this man child thinking, man, I can't wait until he comes through the program, right? Can't wait until he does that. And so today, whenever I play basketball, man, that's my claim, right? But because year after year, ninth grade came, disappointment, still six foot tall. 10th grade came, disappointment, still six foot tall. No longer was this man child a man child, he became a pretty average child. 
right? And so there's this hope. And so I never developed my outside game. I never developed my outside shot or how to really dribble very well, but I became a decent role player. And so I was still able to play the game effectively. And so today when we play basketball, um, typically during lunch on Mondays, um, I make the claim, I'm like, man, hey, I played, I played center. I was the number five in high school. I made varsity. I got Clint. Six foot, eight, eight inches tall. I've got him, right? And so inevitably people are looking at me and they're like, bro, are you... Are you sure you want to guard Clint? Are you sure you can do that? I'm like, man, hey, I got this, right? I got this. And even though my claim is true that I played varsity and I I defended guys that are six foot eight and taller every single week, week in and week out, even though that's a true claim about what I did, there's still an innate fear inside of me that the claim that I make is going to be revealed as a lie. That, that this, this ability that I claim to have is gonna be exposed whenever it's put to the test. And inevitably, week after week, it gets exposed because Clint pins my leg against the backboard, laughs in my face, and he's like, Ugh! just kidding, he's not like that. He's much nicer than he seems. But so, so unlike my fear in this claim that, I, that I, I, I can do this, unlike my fear of being exposed, when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, there's not an ounce of fear inside of him that he's going to be exposed to be a liar, to be a cheat. There's not an ounce of that present inside of him because he knows if we take him up on this, he's going to fulfill that. He's going to make good on his promise 100% of the time, every time. Because he's good and he's faithful and he knows who he is. And so when he claims that, this is where he's at and this is the context with which he's saying it. And so um, if we look at this and we think about this and we answer the first question, am I walking in darkness or am I walking in the the light? The first response that we have to have is we have to come to the light. We have to come to the light believing that he is true believing that he is true and allow for it to expose the areas of darkness in our lives so that we can identify where we might be leaning into the darkness, pursuing darkness, or even potentially living and existing in darkness. So we have to come into the light. And so another question is, man, who who is this invitation open to? Who is the invitation to come into the light open to? If you look at the, the the word that comes right after he finishes his claim, I am the light of the world, that next word is whoever. That next word is whoever, and guys, this word whoever, it's, there's no asterisk next to it, like on a coupon, right, where there's a list of 1,800 things that disqualify that word whoever. Unlike a coupon with an asterisk by it, there's no, there's no exceptions to this rule. Whoever follows Jesus, this is open to. Whoever comes into the light will not walk in darkness. And so I know there are many of us in this room who think that we have may have, ex- we have may, um, have disqualified or dis- discredited ourselves to the points where we can't be forgiven. And you may look at me and say, Will, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the extra relationships I've been in. You don't know the business deals that I've done. You don't know the sacrifices to my character and my, in- and my integrity that I've taken. You don't know, but guys, I want you to understand, no matter what position you're walking into this room today, no matter what you've done in your past or who you think you are, this invitation, it says, whoever follows and so this is an open invitation to anyone with no asterisk or exclusions. And so the second question we need to ask is, how do we then avoid walking in darkness? How do we avoid walking in darkness? Well, the answer is pretty simple. We walk in the light. And that's the second point, we walk in the light. John eight twelve again, 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this section where it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, this is an if-then statement. It's saying, if you follow Jesus, then you will not walk in darkness. It's an if-then statement, but what this doesn't mean, and I think this is how we read it sometimes, is if you follow Jesus, what this doesn't mean is if you follow Jesus, then you won't struggle with sin anymore. I, for one, know this all too well. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we know this all too well as well. We can pursue Jesus but still struggle with some sin. And so uh, something else it doesn't mean is if you follow Jesus, then you won't suffer anymore. And guys, if you look at the evidence surrounding this, you look at even the men that were the closest with Jesus, his disciples, if we look at their lives, man, their lives were a living sacrifice. Their lives were a living suffering, suffering to the point of death and torture for many of them. So, we don't, we, so it doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus, then you won't suffer anymore. But what it does mean is that if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then he will guide you through the darkness. And so when I think about this, when I think about guiding through the darkness, it makes me think about... Um, a time when I was younger, I was about 16 years old. Um, I grew up in Branson, Missouri. So that's southwest Missouri, and it's right next to northwest Arkansas. It's a beautiful land, beautiful country. There's a lot of terrain, a lot of hills, and a lot of caves. And so growing up, I, I went caving a good amount of time. And, and uh, one of these caving excursions I went on was whenever I was actually a camper at Kennecut Camps. And, we, and it took about 30 of us that were in these two cabins together, took us into a cave, and we had a guide that led us through this cave because this was a little bit more of a tricky cave. It had a little more hiking and climbing and rappelling with ropes and all of these things. And so for about 45 minutes, we squeezed our way through these small crevices and we fit through these tiny holes that I never thought I would be able to be able to fit through. But all 30 of us um, got through and, and we went for about 45 minutes until we got to the point where there's this large opening in this room, in this cave. And in this large opening, there's a fairly flat surface that, that we could see. And so for the first time for 45 minutes, we were able to kind of all gather together, kind of hang out and talk for a little bit and catch up and talk about our past experiences and everything. And so we gather together. And so the guide has a stop in this room. And so what he does is he instructs us. He says, okay, now what I want you guys to do, I want you guys to get into a circle. I want you to circle up and then be shoulder to shoulder to the guy next to you. And so as we circled up, he then says, okay, the next thing I want you to do is I want every one of you to take your headlamp, turn it off, and I want you to hand it to me. I will walk around in the center of the circle with mine on. I will grab your headlamp from you. And then I have the next step for you. So then he did that. And then he went outside the circle and he turned his headlamp off. Immediately when his headlamp went off, it was pitch dark. And this is a darkness where he then instructed us. He said, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to extend your hand in front of you as far as you can as if you're looking at your hand. And then I want you to slowly move it towards your face until you can see it. And so I did that. I did it time and time again, trying to see if I could ever see it before it touched my face. And finally, we all started giggling because we were just hitting ourselves in the face, unable to see our face because it's so dark. It's pitch black. And so then he instructs us, he says, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to reach your hand out to your right. I want you to grab the person's shoulders in front of you and I want you to begin to walk in circle. I want you to begin to walk. And so we began to walk and we circled and we circled and we circled to the point to where it's about a minute and a half, felt like five minutes we were walking until he says, all right, stop. 
And then everyone stops and he says, okay, let go of the person that you're holding on to. And what I want you to do is to take a big step back. So he took a big step back. And upon taking a step back, he then said, all right, I now want you to take your arm and I want you to point in the direction with which you think you came into this cave. And I'm like, man, I've got great spatial awareness. I know exactly, I've been keeping track of the loops. I know exactly, man, the path is this way. All right, so he says, now I want you to hold your hand there and I want you to keep it there. And on the count of three, I'm gonna turn my headlamp on. And then, so he says, okay, hold your arms there. Three, two, one, boom, light comes on. And it's hilarious. 30 people with their arms pointing in literally 30 different directions with not a single one of them pointing to the path where, where, where we came from. And so the thing that I, that I learned in that moment is when I'm in the darkness and I'm relying on my own spatial awareness, I'm relying on my own ability to try to grope after what I think is the right way, I end up pointing in the completely wrong direction. And everyone in their, uh, in their own ability is thinking that they know exactly where they came from and they know where they're going and they begin to point in that same, in a different direction that is not the right direction either. And so what we see in that moment is when the light illuminated, it was just one light but when that guide's headlamp went on, every one of us were in that moment were able to see our faults and, our, and our, um, how we were wrong in thinking that we knew where we were going in the right direction and immediately we knew that we were going somewhere we weren't supposed to be going. And so then he asked us again, he said, all right, now with the light illuminated, I want you to point in the direction of where you truly came from. And in an instant, every single arm went right over there and he says, all right, do you guys understand the importance of light? The importance of not trying to do or follow your own path of what you think is the right way. And so the light shined. And guys, when that light shined, it would have been a fool's errand for me to try to convince anyone in this room that this was the right way because the light was exposing my sin. The light was exposing my faultiness and my inability to know what the real way is. And so it would have been a fool's errand for me to try to get the other 29 guys to say, no, this is the way. Because when the light shines, it's so clear that that was the way. It would have been fool's errand for me to try to convince him otherwise. And so the second thing that we have to do in order to walk in the light is we have to repent and we have to turn from what we think is best and we have to walk in the light that is the true way. We have to walk in repentance from trying to blaze our own path and walk in the light. This doesn't mean that you're not, gonna, you're not gonna get distracted anymore. This doesn't mean that you're not gonna suffer anymore, but what it does mean is that you keep your eyes open knowing that, man, in that distraction, whenever you seem to veer off the path a little bit, you reset your eyes on the light and you walk in the light. And so if you have, if you have come to the light and you've allowed for your, your life to be exposed and your sin to be exposed and you strive to walk in the light, then the, the, through repentance, then the third step and the third question we need to ask is how do we then walk in the light? And why do we do so? Matthew 5, 14 says this. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus says to those that are walking in the light, that have come to the light, that are walking in the light, he says, you are the light. 
He says, you are the light of the world. Man, why? How can God say that? How can Jesus say, you are the light of the world? Well, he says, you are the light of the world so that others might see your good works. They would see how your life has changed. They would see, because everyone knows that you're pursuing this direction. They would see how your life has changed from pursuing after your own satisfaction. They would see how you pursued that which is better, and they would be able to see that in your life. They would see the fullness of joy that comes from following Jesus. And in seeing this, they would glorify your God in heaven. They would not only see that your life has changed in the direction, but they would see the way that you endure trials look different than the world around you. They would see that the way that you enjoy food and drink is different than the world around you. They would see that the way that you compete in your athleticisms, the, the, way, that, the way that you compete for the best grades, they would see the way that you compete looks different than the world around them. They would see the way that you react whenever you are wronged by someone else. They would see instead of you acting out vengefully and, and pursuing justice for yourself, they would see that you respond in grace and love. They would see that when you do business, that your business looks different than the world around you. You're not willing to cut corners to get ahead. You're, you're faithful and you're pursuing an ethical business practice. They would see that the way that you treat and talk to your spouse is different than the world that treats and talks to your spouse. They would see the life that you live is different. And so the way that you walk in the light is you live a life that is different than the world around us. You live a life that is different than the world around us. And so a diagnostic test I think we all need to ask is this, am I living a life that looks different than the world outside of here. A diagnostic test, we have to ask that. We have to ask that. And if you remember, guys, in the, in the cave, whenever I was pointing in this way, it wasn't my light. I didn't have my headlamp. It wasn't my light that was shining. It was, the, it was the light of the guide who turned his light on. And in that moment, I didn't have the light, but I saw the light. And because I saw the light, I then knew that this is the true path. And so as we walk in the light, we're called to be the light. And as we are, and as we are the light, we then begin to walk in the light because whenever I got to the guide, he said, all right, if you can see the light, I'm gonna walk over here. I want you to come to me. And then upon coming to him, he began to give us each our headlamps back. So then we then had the light. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. John 8, 12 says this again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so not only are you gonna walk in the light, but you have the light. And when you have the light, the light is gonna shine into the darkness. And so I think about this, if, if I'm at my house at night and I have all the lights on and it's pitch black outside of my house, when I open the door to go outside, darkness doesn't come flooding in. Light goes flooding out. Darkness cannot overcome the light. Light will always overcome the darkness. So when, whenever you are the light, whenever you have the light, you reflect the light of Jesus so that others might see and you begin to shine into the dark places. And as a believer, you'll continually begin to identify with that light where the dark areas of your life are and where your desire is to walk in darkness. But when you have the light, 
and you see those that have the light around you in community groups. That's why community is so important. That's why it's so important for us to not try to walk isolated or alone, but it's important for us to come together so that our lights together might shine brighter. So so that when we do go out, we'll be encouraged and our lights might begin to shine brighter and you begin to walk in the light more and more as you mature in your relationship with him. And you begin to live with authenticity. And so if you have the light, that doesn't mean that you fabricate some sort of fake life on your own. That doesn't mean that, that, you, that, you, that you have to put up this, this false image of what you think people think you're supposed to be. Let's call that the Instagram life. That doesn't mean that you have to look perfect so that others will see that you are perfect and they, they might say, man, man, she is awesome or he is awesome. Man, I wanna be just like him. No, you live with authenticity. You don't live an Instagram lifestyle. You live with authenticity where you live imperfectly but you live imperfectly pursuing perfection. You live imperfectly pursuing perfection, identifying, man, that I can't do this on my own. That's why I need Jesus. That's why he came and died on the cross for my sins because I can't do it. I can't save myself. He had to come. And so we look and we allow for him to shine light into our lives so that we might reflect that. You live with authenticity imperfectly, but in your imperfections and failures, you exhibit active repentance, turning away from what you think is best to turning what, what is best, to turning what is the best. And it's gonna take, it's a process. It's gonna take time. Proverbs 4.18 says this. It says, the path of the righteous is like the, dawn, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You are not going to be perfect and there, there will still be sin struggles in your life. But if you have the light, those sin struggles will be illuminated and you will walk in active repentance because what you think to be good is gonna be exposed to be futile and empty when you see what is best. When you see what is best. And so, I need, so we need to ask ourselves, does your light shine brighter today than it did when you first came to faith? Does your life look more like Jesus today than it did when you first professed faith in him? Because believers, we're called to be the light. And, and as Proverbs 4.18 says, it's gonna shine brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. It's a progression. We're gonna be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next, scripture tells us. So we're called to reflect the light of Jesus and so y'all, this claim is bold, this claim is clear, and this claim demands a response. And so what's our response this morning? What is our response? Christian, I, I believe if this is you, Christian, our response is this, is to come into the light, to identify the areas in your life where you find yourself leaning into the darkness. What are the areas of your life that you, what are the sins in your life that you wanna keep hidden, that you don't want anybody else to see, that you, you think, man, I, I can control this, I'm good, no one's gotta know about this, I can still love Jesus, pursue Jesus, but, but I've got the secret sin. Guys, that's like a pet lion cub. It's like a, it's like a lion cub who, man, in the darkness, you're, you're just, you're trying to raise this thing up and you think you can control it and for a while you can, but eventually what does a lion cub become? becomes a lioness. And eventually when that lion come becomes a full grown lion, that sin is gonna devour you. 
And so believer, our response is to come into the light, to take the things that we've been keeping in the dark and take that to the light so it can be exposed for what it is as futile and empty and see that what he is offering is the path to life. So we come to the light and we repent from those things and we pursue Jesus. And as we repent faithful, we don't live perfectly We pursue perfection by following him and we then reflect the light of Jesus as we are the light. We be the light. And if you're not a believer in here this morning, if you're not a Christian, then I think your response is this. The first step you have to have is ask God to open the eyes of your heart. Ask God to open your eyes so that you can see the light so that you're no longer groping in the darkness for what you think is best because we're all created with this desire for eternity. So you stop groping in the darkness for what you think is best and your eyes can be enlightened. So when the light shines, you can see where the light is and what the light leads to and that is life. And so that's my prayer. If you're not a believer in this room, and that's my prayer is that God would open your heart this morning so you might come to the light so you could then walk in the light and be the light. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. God, asking, God, as, as, we, as we enter into this, this time of response, God, when we sing, as we sing, God, that we would not move so quickly on to the next thing that we, we forget to do business with you. God, we forget to ask you to speak to our hearts right now, to encourage us and to sharpen us and to expose the things in our lives where we are walking in darkness. But God, that we would walk in the light of life. And God, as we walk in the light of life, we would be the light and reveal the light to others. It's your name we pray these things. Amen.